Okay, so this is part two of our teaching on false prophets. And um, I'm going to be reading from a uh, excerpts from an article by a guy named Rick Cutter. And it's, it's entitled, Is Your Favorite Preacher a False Prophet? Have You Done Your Spiritual Homework? So we're going to re be reading some excerpts from this and going into a lot of Bible, again, on this, a lot of the New Testament, what the New Testament has to say about this. We've looked a lot now at the Old Testament and how prevalent it was back then, but now we're going to look at uh, what to expect in, in the day and age we're living in now. So starting off, it says, One of the most amazing facts of religious life is that although masses of humu humanity are following spiritual leaders, few people seem to believe that false prophets actually exist. Today, billions of people worship God in one manner or another. Never have there been more religious people on the face of the earth. Never more worshippers of God, supposedly. And never more false prophets and their followers. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John all repeatedly warned such men would rise up even from the true church and lead many astray. Not one of them, not only would there be many false prophets and teachers, there would be many followers of them as well. Now, let's look at some really heavy-duty portions of Scripture that relate to this first paragraph that I just read. Let's go to Matthew 24, 11. Matthew 24.11 and I'm going to have to flip there myself. Matthew 24.11 uh, Jesus talking on the Olivet Discourse and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Now this is what Jesus is, is regarding, talking about regarding the end times, okay? Now I don't have time to get into every verse here. We're just going to really be keying on the false prophets. But Jesus predicted clearly, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. What are they going to do? They're going to deceive the false prophets. Okay? And then if we go to verse uh, 24 of that same chapter, For there shall arise... False Christ. These people are going to be calling themselves basically like a, like Jesus Christ. They're going to be putting themselves on the same level. For there shall arise, men, arise false Christs and false prophets. Notice that's a plural. There's going to be many. And shall show great signs and wonders. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. This is where we get that verse from that I quote. Okay, so this is what's coming here. Now, if you're prepared for this, to be quite honest with you, I'm not, I'm not dreading any of this. All it does is confirm Scripture. You know? So just, you can be prepared for this and not have to, you know, worry that you're going to get deceived because, you know, it's real obvious what's coming here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 13. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Let's see here. 2 Corinthians 11, verse... Okay, I was off a chapter there. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15. And this is a warning against false 
teachers and apostles. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Notice they say the word ministers. And it says they're Satan's ministers. And it's no great marvel that this happens. People act like, oh no, he's so sincere, this just can't be. Not him, he can't be corrupt. But Satan has his ministers. And they're going to be transformed into ministers of righteousness. If Satan can do it, he can do it to his ministers. And they're going to deceive many. Now, let's go to 1 Timothy 1.3. 1 Timothy 1.3 says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So this was very important. Okay? Paul's talking here to uh, Timothy. It's the first thing he's starting out this whole chapter with, essentially. Neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Okay, so these are things that we don't want to get wrapped up in. Fables and endless genealogies and things of this nature. Okay, now let's go to Second Peter chapter 2. Okay, so Second Peter chapter 2. Starting with verse 1. Now, this is about the first time I've ever taught on this particular... We're going to get into one aspect of what we're talking about here. There's a lot that's mentioned here in regard to false prophets. But there's one thing um, I want to kind of touch on as well. And we'll get to that soon here. Now, this is basically a warning concerning apostate teachers, prophets, and pastors. Okay, this basically this whole chapter. Okay, <clears throat> so that's the context of this whole chapter that we're talking about here which is important to bear in mind as we read these verses. Verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, meaning like privately, shall bring in damnable heresies. See, they're not going to come in waving their arms, at least they didn't initially, now they do. Now it's just all damnable heresy, basically, because that's what their church is based upon. So, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So when, when, they, when they bring in their pernicious ways, the way of truth starts to be evil spoken of. See, what we're doing here is we're talking about truth here today, but many people would, would go up there and if they click on the sermon say, Oh, this is an evil man. He's saying this and he's saying that. And God's a God of love. But see, what they're doing is they're calling good evil and evil good. And the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet, that put light for darkness and dark for light. Woe unto them. Verse 3, and through covetousness, mean you covet, you covet, you want another person's stuff. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Now remember, we're talking about apostate teachers, prophets, and pastors here, essentially. Okay? Context of this verse. <clears throat> now let's go to verse 10. Now again, we're still talking about the same thing. 
Verse 10, But chiefly them that walk after the lust of uncleanness, and despise government. Oh man, what does that mean? We're going to see. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now we're going to really look at what government and dignities means. Okay? The word government in the Bible is only used four times. We think, automatically, we think of, oh, our government of America. Well, the Bible says comparing Scripture with Scripture. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 Now, <clears throat> the word government is used four times in Scripture. The word dignities are used two times in Scripture. Both in in all in the same context. Every single time the government is used and dignities is used, it's used in the same context. Okay, And that's how we compare words in the Bible with other words in the Bible. That's the best way to define them. Okay, We look at the context in which they're used to define them. We just don't go to a, 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 some kind of modern day dictionary and look up the word and expect to get an answer. Okay? If you're going to use a dictionary, I revise using a Webster's 1828 dictionary because those that defines the words in a manner in which they were um, used at that particular time. Now, the word government in the King James was used in Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah 9.7, Isaiah 22.21, and 2 Peter 2.10, which is what we just read. Okay? In Isaiah 9.6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Well, this is Jesus Christ. Well, what government do you mean? Like, the United States government? No, I, I think we're talking about a little bit different deal here. This is a spiritual government. Okay, that is going to be upon his shoulder. When it's truly going to be on his shoulder in an official way, as far as ruling the earth, is going to be during the thousand year millennium, after he comes back and settles um, everything at Armageddon. After he comes back with his saints on a white horse. So, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isaiah 9 7, which is the next verse. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, in, in, in two instances here, we've got the spiritual government of the Lord Jesus Christ being set up. Okay? Isaiah 22.21, it says, And I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Again, we're in reference to Jesus Christ, and again, we're talking about his spiritual government that he's going to set up. And then we get to 2 Peter 2.10, which we just read, which says, but chiefly, now this is talking about false prophets, false apostles, and false teachers. It says, but chiefly they, these false people I just mentioned, but chiefly them that walk after the lust of the flesh, after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government, Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So what I wanted to establish first off is that's not speaking out against if your government's doing something evil. 
like our government is, and like just about every other government, and we're getting ready to go in the one world government, do you think it's evil to speak out truth against that system? But if you read this and didn't know the context of the verse, you might think that. You might say, oh, all government's established by God, and, and we just got to go along with whatever they say. Well, yeah, okay, I, I guess Hitler, and, and what he did was okay, because it was a government, and it was put, or Stalin, it's okay. No, if what your government's telling you to do contradicts the word of God, you obey the word of God. I would rather obey God than man. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, as Joshua said. Okay? And again, that's a little bit of a different teaching, but just wanted to establish that precedent. Now, then it says they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. I'm going to put that one on pause for a second. We're going to read the rest of this, and then we're going to go to another portion of Scripture, and we're going to, defi we're going to define what that means. Okay? So in other words, in this context here, it says they walk after the flesh of the... after the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government... In this regard, we're talking about the spiritual government and hierarchy. Okay? An unseen world that we don't see. And, they're, and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, I don't... I'm not going to give this away yet. I'm going to read the rest of this, and then we're going to go to the next portion of Scripture, and we're going to expound on this. So just hang with me here for a second. Verse 11. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might... Bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. You know what? I don't think I'm going to be. I don't think I'm going to be able to get away with not going to the next portion of Scripture. What does this mean? What does verse eleven mean? Now hold on. We just had verse ten that said, "But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government." We've established that every single time that word is used in the Bible, it's in reference to a spiritual government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. Who is they? The false prophets, the teachers. And then it says, and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Hmm. Let's expound on that further. Verse 11. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and in, in might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. What does this mean? Angels... And they're greater in power and might than who? The false prophets and teachers? Bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord? What's them? What is them is the dignities that was just mentioned in verse 10. And also the government that they were in reference to. Okay, well think about this. If it was a spiritual government, and that's the only time it's ever used in the Bible, then these dignities must be part of this spiritual government. Hmm... Let's go get the answer. I, I, can't, I can't keep you back from this. Because we're going to have to come back to this, but I don't like to move around this much. But let's go to Jude. Because the answer is in Jude, clearly. Jude. Uh, and again, let's go ahead and just establish this out. I'm going to go back to Second Peter here in a second. But Jude, let's start in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now, this is the whole context of this verse. This is one of my life verses, I guess if you call it. Earnestly contending for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What is that faith based upon? The word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
And where does that come from? The Word of God. So, if we're earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, we're earnestly contending for the Word of God by default. Verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. Now, this is why we're earnestly contending for the faith. For there were men crept in unawares who were before... Remember, they said that they came in, they brought their damnable heresies in privily, which means privately, subtly, as Satan was the most subtle beast of the field. Certain men who crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Wow, this almost sounds like predestination or something. Well, I don't know. It says before we're ordained of this condemnation. If you are a tear, and the Bible talks about the wheat and the tares, and that they'll both grow up together, harvest them not until the end, lest you root up the wheat with the tares. Well, let me ask you a question. If you're a tear, and you're growing up with the wheat, is there anything that you could do to make yourself wheat? If you were, I mean, if, if we go to, just say, let's say, farming. Okay, farming. You got wheat and you got tares or, or weeds. And they're growing up beside. Is there anything that I can do to make that weed turn itself into good wheat? Is there anything I can possibly do? I mean, providing I've left my magic wand back at the house. No, there's nothing that I can do to do that. It doesn't sound like the Bible says anything about there could be anything that can be done to transform wheat or weeds into wheat at all. Maybe that's why this Bible verse says what it says. Because it says, there are certain men that corrupt in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. I don't know, it's God's rule book, not mine. The Bible says that broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go thereat, and narrow is the way which, which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. The vast majority of people throughout humanity, unfortunately, are going to go to hell. That's just the biblical numbers that you inescapab inescapably come to by reading the Bible. It's sad. It really is. Because the Bible says it's, it's God's will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repent. That He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's a sad thing, but it's a true thing. So these were men of... Now, God knows the beginning from the end. See, God's not subject to time. God, think of, the, think of what we're living in as this big capsule. God sees the beginning and the end. How do you think that He showed um, John... The revelation, in Revelation, on the Isle of Patmos, when he showed him all the stuff that went on in Revelation. How did he show him all that stuff? Because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's going to happen. Okay? It says here, Before of old, ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, meaning the grace of God into like a license to sin, what that essentially means, and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. When you when you go to your you, when you go to your congregation and you say, "Yeah, you can love like the devil. God's going to love you. There's no rules. It's okay. You don't have to worry about holy living." By doing that, in essence, you are denying the Lord Jesus Christ because you're teaching another gospel. And the Bible says that cursed be the man that teaches another gospel. It says it twice. Let him be accursed. It says it twice. So, it, then if we go to verse 
8. Likewise, now this is in the same context about these, about these men who were before of ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord God into lasciviousness. This is, this is in the same context, this, this um, portion of Scripture, which is almost the exact same context of what we were just reading in Second Peter, which we're going to go back to in a second. So it's important you understand the context of this verse. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. This is the only two places in the whole Bible the word dignities is used. Now, it's in the exact same context. We're talking about false preachers, men who crept in unawares. That came into the church to bring in damnable heresies. It's in the same context. What is an earmark of these men that come into the church, or women, that come into the church and do this? They're filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh. They have a, a guarantee they got a secret life that, that, that nobody knows. But they're defiling the flesh big time. They despise dominion. Now this would be under the context of despising this government, this spiritual government hierarchy that we talked about, dominion. They just put it a different way here. And speak evil of dignities. Again, what does this mean? Speaking evil of dignities. Does that mean like when like a dignitary comes from like another country? Do we like we speak mean things about them? Oh, the, dig- the dignitary from Zimbabwe just came and, and I guess I'm speaking, you know, he's a bad guy, so I guess I'm speaking evil of dignities. No, it's not, that's not what it's in reference to. We've already established the fact that this is some type of spiritual government hierarchy that we're in reference to here. Angels were created higher than man. A little higher than man, as the Bible talks about. Let's see what this actually means. Verse 9 defines it for us. You want the answer to this? Verse 9 has the answer. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Remember that? Michael and the devil disputing about the body of Moses? Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these... Speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Now, I have never preached on this before. But by examining this first, and comparing Scripture to Scripture, what this seems obvious to me, after looking at this, is that when we, when in reference to speaking evil of dignities, now let's, let's see an example. What is this dignity that we're not supposed to speak evil about? Michael the archangel when contending with the devil. This is one of the dignities they're in reference to here. He disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring. Michael was an archangel. Okay, probably like the highest archangel that there is. Even though Michael was an archangel, he didn't bring a railing accusation against Satan when he was disputing with the body of Moses. All he said was, The Lord rebuke thee. Did Jesus Christ, when he was contending with the devil in the desert after the 40-day fast, freak out on him and say, You stinking low-life devil, get out of my face. Do you know how many times I have heard this from Pentecostals in particular? Oh, devil, you're nothing. You're nothing but a low-down little 
little worm, you this and that, and, and I mean, they say all these things, and I think about this verse, speaking evil of dignities. Well, we might not view them as something that we have to worry about speaking evil of, but then again, it's not our rule book. And it says here that Michael, when he dealt with the devil, he did not bring a railing accusation against the devil. Now, you would think he'd have every right to bring a railing accusation against the devil, but he didn't. Okay? Again, it's God's rule book, not mine. I would just caution you, when you think you're dealing with a demonic entity, not to be... I've had so many people tell me, these guys that get into supposedly these deliverance ministries and these really rabid Pentecostals and these guys, oh yeah, I, I, love to, I love to really have a lot of dialogue with these devils and put them in their place and all this other stuff. I'll tell you what, I don't see any scriptural precedence for it. I don't see Jesus Christ doing it. I don't see Michael the Archangel doing it. And who are we compared to them? So, again, I have never heard what I just told you be preached on. Ever. I'm not saying I'm better, but it seems to be pretty obvious in Scripture, this is just something that you don't do. I think about as much as we want to say, is the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you? You know, these types of things. Yeah, Doug just brought up the point where we hear a lot of times from these people in Pentecostal circles, where they just rail and rail and, and rag on the devil and say he's nothing, he's stupid, and, and he's... You know, he's nothing to be worried about. We've already... You know, I'll tell you what. The Bible talks about the devil roaring about as a, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants you to think that he's nothing. He, he loves it. He'll take that all day long. Because he knows what power he has been given. And he's going to be given more power for a time. Especially during the tribulation. So, I would just caution you about all this. Now, since we're already in Jude, let's just finish out what it says in Jude, and we'll go back to, to uh, 2 Peter. And then it says, in verse 11, and again, we're talking about the false prophets, these men who crept in unawares. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Cori. Now, Cain was a type of religious, natural man who believes in a God and in religion, but after his own will. See, Cain came and offered, um, was it the vegetables and the fruits or whatever? When God required a blood sacrifice, Abel did it right, Cain got jealous, Abel killed him. So, he's a, Cain is a type of an example of a person, or like these false prophets, who believe in a God and in religion, but after their own will. They want to do it their own way. That's what Cain did. He did it his own way. And who rejects the redemption of Jesus Christ by his shed blood. If we go further, and then it says, then, and they ran greedily after the heir of Balaam. So this is another thing. The heir of Balaam, which the heir of Balaam was that reasoning from natural mortality, from natural morality, and seeing the evil in Israel, Balaam supposed a righteous God must curse them. Balaam took it upon himself to put himself in God's place and do these things based on his own self-will. 
Okay? And then it says, and perish in the gainsaying of Cori. Okay, so the sin of Korah was denial of the authority of Moses as God's chosen spokesman and the intrusion into the priest's office. Okay, so these are basically presumptuous, self-willed types of, of false prophets, teachers, preachers who come in to spy out their liberty and to bring in these damnable heresies that ultimately end up putting these people in bondage. And the Bible talks about they promise, them, they promise them liberty, but they themselves are in bondage, and they only bring their own followers into bondage. And then it goes on in verse 12, And these are spots in your Feast of Charity. Now this is a whole chapter devoted to false prophets and teachers. And this is, this is the book right before Revelation. These are spots in your Feast of Charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. See, they don't have any fear of God. None. Clouds they are without water carried about with winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Doesn't sound like a really glowing um, commentary here. Verse 13, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Well, this sounds pretty important to me, all the stuff we're talking about here. Doesn't sound like this is something that, you know, we're taking lightly here. Let's go a little bit further here. These are murmurers, uh, verse 16. These are murmurers and complainers walking about after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in aberration because of advantage. They, well, it says their mouth speaketh great swelling words. Hmm. The Bible says in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18, For I beseech thee, brethren, mark them, which cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. We're supposed to mark them. But see, if you, if you do any marking today, they'll say, oh, you're causing division among the brethren. You're judging. The Bible says, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. If we, if we didn't judge false prophets, which is what's not happening in the church, then, you know, all... <laughs> this is why we have the, the, the apostate church we have now, the mess. Because there, no, there was no judgment of sin. And of these, of these false prophets and preachers and teachers that came in and brought in their damnable heresies, and now it's just, that's the church. I don't see how it can possibly be reformed. The only, the only thing I know of is to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Because you're not going to reform it from the inside out anymore. It's too far gone. It's a 501c3 corporate entity that gets their permission to be granted and, and, and um, exist by our government and in the Internal Revenue Service. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations have already been destroyed. That was, that was Proverbs 11, verse 3. So... If we go further, verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the, the words which were spoken before of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. Wow, isn't that what we're talking about? Mockers in the last time? They're mocking the word of God. They're not even using the word of God. They're using a perversion. 95% <laughs> of the time, as far as I can see. Mockers in the last time. So now we know this is in reference to the time. This is a warning of the time we're living in. Why aren't the preachers preaching Jude? Because they would be indicting themselves. Who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. 
well, maybe like Ted Haggard, good old Teddy boy, who, uh, you know, uh, was in the uh, head of the evangelical Christian movement, has that big gigantic church out in Colorado, got caught with his gay lover, having, having sodomy. He was, he was, you know, calling them up. They were, they were meeting in hotels and they were smoking, uh, what was it, crystal meth? He was buying it from them. You talk about who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. If you knew the secret lives of these, of these devils, <laughs> he's just, he's just one of them that got caught. Verse nineteen: These be they who separate. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Meaning they're not saved. That word is capitalized as spirit. They're not saved. So let's go back to Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter two, and let's pick up where we left off here, verse. 12. And this is the same context. Okay. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not. So in other words, now we're still talking about they're speaking evil of these dignities and the spiritual hierarchy of government, and they don't even know what they're talking about. But I'm telling you, it is so encouraged in the Pentecostal churches. There's so many people that rail on different whatever, spiritual entities, and mock them, and just, you know, and it's, there's no scriptural precedence for this at all. And yet it's part and parcel of what goes on in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. I know I've been there, seen it, done it even. I'm guilty of it. I, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but I used to. So it says, and these as natural brute, brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. We well, you know how there's different crowns and there's different jewels and there's different things that you can get at the judgment seat of Christ as a reward. They're going to receive the reward of unrighteousness at the great white throne judgment. There's different, evidently, rewards that you're going to get at the great white throne judgment. Not the kind of reward you want to get. So they're going to be burning in fire at the great white throne judgment, or, or after the great white throne judgment, when they're thrown in the lake of fire, and they're going to have some type of special reward of unrighteousness, even burning in the lake of fire. Think about that. Now that, that's scary stuff. As they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots, and, that, and that's what the churches are. Anything stinking goes in these churches. They got their Christian rock bands. They got, I mean, so much junk is going on in the church. So much confusion. Um, blasphemy. Heresy. Irreverence. Is going on in the churches. And this is, this is that. They, they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Right now, as we're doing this on a Sunday, I guarantee you, there's a lot of churches where God's looking down and saying they're rioting in the daytime. It's essentially what they're doing. Spots are they. Spots they are, and blemishes. Sporting themselves with your own deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls in heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. 
they have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam. Now, if there was any doubt that we were talking about two different things, we just settled it here. Because now they give the exact same example as we just read in Jude. They have, they have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam. Okay, which was the typical hireling prophet, anxious to only make market of his gifts. Remember, the Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, I'm not saying all these people that are in the Pentecostal church are truly gifted as whatever they say they're gifted with. I think a lot of them are totally satanically gifted. But the Bible does say the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So a lot of these people may at one time have been called of God and went after the way of Balaam, which is the way of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. So, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The wages, remember, wages are what you get paid. You can be paid for being unrighteousness. Do you think that's how a stripper gets paid? She goes up there, she acts in an unrighteous way. Do you think that's how a prostitute gets paid? What, what does she get paid in God's eyes? The wages of unrighteousness. Anybody that earns a living in an unrighteous way. Well, I'm a Christian bartender. Well, you know what? You're earning the wages of unrighteousness. And if there's no conviction of your sin, then you're not saved. Because how can the Holy Spirit live inside you and you do what you're doing? Getting people all liquored up and drunk? Oh, that's, that's, yeah, God definitely called you to that. Well, I'm called there to witness to people. I'm in a Christian rock band. I have one of my friends, not one of my friends, but one of my patients, who says that, you know, she's born again Christian, she's got got hexagrams all over her her yard, she's got these nice hexagrams all over her yard, you know, into the whole Christian Zionism thing, and basically plays in a secular jazz band once or twice a week, plays the saxophone, okay, and basically saying, evidently, God's calling her to do all of it. It's, it's just unbelievable what people just... And I tried. I've tried to, to give her... You know, I've started first with a hexagram teaching because I, I think that's very, very pivotal. And, you know, she didn't receive any of it. Nothing. Self-willed women that think that they know everything. She's an avid fan of Mike Murdoch. Mr. Money Man. It's just like John Anvenzini. He's Mr. Money Man. How to make the money. How to, how to you know, how to, uh, you know, this whole thing about, you know, oh, you got to do this and that and this and that, and you make all kind of money, and a lot of it probably is, is New Age witchcraft. I put out a whole email on Mike Murdoch. Also, his blasphemous things that he does. They're all devils. I don't know one of them on TV that's not. I used to think, well, maybe some of them are not. I'm not saying that, that I make a blanket statement. Ever. Maybe there's some that aren't. But I'll tell you what, if you're preaching hard, and you're preaching the truth, most likely they're not going to let you up on TV. I just, it's just not going to, it's not politically correct. So, if we go further, um, verse 16, and this is talking about Balaam, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, of whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. And this is almost like a 
a different punishment that's reserved for these false prophets. Because I think God views this in a different way. It's one thing if you're a Satanist trying to take somebody to hell. But it's another thing if you call yourself a Christian, and in the name of Christianity, in the name of Jesus Christ, you take people to hell. I think your punishment is more severe when you do that. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from those who live in air. That's why the Bible says, if you're clean, escape from those that live in air. Now, nowhere in this context does it ever say that these false prophets were ever saved. It's, 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 this is purely from a context of these men are not saved, they're not going to get saved, and they're going to take as many people to hell with them as they can. While they promise them liberty, this is what these false prophets do, particularly the, the TV guys, they promise them liberty. What does that mean, liberty? liberty go, go, go do what you want to do. God loves you. Don't you understand? Yeah, God forgives you for your sin. Go live, go live like the devil. And, and it's, God will forgive you. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. So if one of these prosperity preachers, or one of these Hebrew Roots movement guys, or one of these people in some kind of pseudo-Christian cult, or Catholics, or whatever... If you're overcome from one of these men, then you're brought in bondage by the same man, or by the same religion. And then you're overcome. You're overcome. You better escape while you still can. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ... They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse than... Now, it doesn't say they were saved. It does not say they were saved. It says they escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a head knowledge. The seed fell on the ground, but it didn't fall on good ground. Fall, fell on rocky or stony or, or these types of ground where the, suit, the seed never took root. They had knowledge, head knowledge, but they never got saved. They are again entangled therein, but that doesn't matter. Because once you're aware of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, His saving redemption, His free gift, His, His free gift that He offers you, if you freely reject that, and then again are entangled with this yoke of worldly bondage, and overcome, then the latter end is worse than in the beginning. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. Now you're accountable. Now you're accountable because you know the knowledge. Verse 21, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It would have been better that they hadn't known. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed in her wallowing in the mire... I like that. That's good hard preaching. I like it. The dog is returned to his own vomit. And the pig, or the sow that was washed in her wallowing in the mire. Says it right there. Pretty stern warnings, I would say. Pretty stern. Okay, now let's go to Revelation 2.2. 2. Revelation 2.2. 2. <clears throat> I know thy patience and thy labor and thy 
I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Oh, me. Say they are apostles. I've talked to several people. I'm Apostle Dan. Oh, is that so? So you do all the things that, that Jesus, all the powers that Jesus gave them in the Great Commandment. You can go out and heal the sick, and you can drink poison and not die. Well, that's the Great Commission. We're all supposed to be doing that, right? Exactly. I mean, that's what the Pentecostals say. Well, I, I'll tell. I'll ask the Pentecostals. Well, I'm I'm prophesying and I'm praying in other tongues and all these other things. Well, hold on. But hold on now. Are you are you uh, are you healing the sick? And are you doing it every time? Are you nailing it? Are all your prophecies perfect? Are they are, are they all being fulfilled? Are you drinking poison and not dying? Okay, so let's let's just go to that. So there's no there's no doubt on this verse. Let's go to Mark, verse six, uh, chapter sixteen, verse fifteen. This is the apostolic commission. And he, being Jesus, said unto them, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And they shall, if they drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now there was a time that this was happening. Remember, the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after knowledge. Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. When Jesus went to be with the Father, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, after, you know, Pentecost and all these things happened, the emphasis was still on the Jewish church for even a long time after that. It was still geared toward the Jews. Okay? How were they used to being dealt with? With signs and wonders. It's not their fault. It's just the way God set it up to be. So, you know, if you've got this typical Pentecostal that says that they're, that they're doing this or they're doing that, hey, listen, you know, you should be doing all these things. I mean, what can we just pick and choose? Anyway, that was just a little side note I wanted to kind of get into. So, it says in, in Revelation 2.2, 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how... And how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, because they weren't fulfilling this apostolic commission, I'm sure. Okay, they were just comparing scripture with scripture is all it really was. Okay, let's just go to Second Corinthians twelve twelve to clarify this a little bit more. Paul speaking in the Corinthian church. Truly the signs of an apostle, which is what we just talked about, were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Okay, and again, this is initially how God dealt with the Jewish church, because this is what they were used to. This is what they expected to see. <clears throat> signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. The, sign, the signs of an apostle. But remember, the Bible says that the devil and his minions are going to come with all lying signs and wonders to deceive many. And if it were possible, they will deceive even the very elect. So, just don't let the signs and wonders convince you. It's got to line up with the Word of God. 
Now, let's go further to Matthew 7.15. Matthew 7.15. Matthew 7.15. I'm having a little hard time getting there myself. <clears throat> Okay. Beware of false prophets. This is a warning from Jesus Christ. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Oh, that preacher, he just seems like such a gentle man of God. There's no way I could believe that there was any bad in him at all. Oh, really? Well, they come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. They can even look meek and mild like a sheep. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Well, he just preaches on God's love and all this other stuff. I, like I said before, a lot of times it's not so much what they're preaching, it's what they're not preaching. Why aren't they warning you about all the... What, have you seen all the verses we've just read today regarding the end times, what we should be on the lookout for? And they're not warning them. What's up with that? They're not warning them. Well, that's a fruit that they're not warning them. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather... They're not, they're not preparing their congregation for the deception that's coming. Why? Well, it's not politically correct. I might get my 501c3 status rejected. And most importantly, I might lose my prestige and all that money coming in. They're going to lose the money. The ties are going to go down. I'm going to lose membership. Oh boy, we can't have that. We'll, we'll take the broad road. It's the way that's least offensive. You know what? The lake of fire is really offensive. I think. I think it's pretty offensive. What do you think? I don't want to experience that's for sure. I'm chicken of the lake of fire. I admit it. I'm chicken. I'm chicken of hell. I admit it. I don't want to go there. <laughs> the Bible says, Fear not, man that can just kill the body, but fear him that can cast both body and soul into hell. Fear God. Pray for it. I'm telling you. Do I think I'm the master of the fear of God? No. Not by any means. But I'm saying that there's more blessings connected with the fear of God than just about any other thing in the Bible. And we've done studies on that. So um, Then verse 17 here of Matthew 7. Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bringeth forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Now again, this gets back to the wheat and the tares. Can wheat bring anything but wheat? It, one stalk of wheat may, able, may be able to bring more wheat than the next stalk. Well, how does that relate to the Bible? Well, doesn't it talk about that, that the good ground will yield, both, um, will yield 30, 60, or 90 fold? Or 100 fold, or whatever? Well, we're the body of Christ. We all have different callings. We all have different talents. These types of things. And some will yield 30. Some will yield 60. Some will yield 100. Okay. So wheat in and of itself, but the thing is, is wheat can't bring forth a weed. Wheat can only bring forth wheat. Weeds can only bring forth what they bring forth. Weeds. But this is not to say a Christian never sins either. I don't want to give you that impression. Okay. 
A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Well, that's a, that's a reference to, eventually they're all going to be cast down and cast into hell. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Then verse 21, Now everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So this is a conditional verse, it sounds like to me. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but it does sound conditional. He that doeth the will of my Father that's in heaven. Okay, so we go fur further. Verse 22, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now, what are we talking about today? False prophets. And these, these same false prophets are prophesying in the Lord's name. Can you imagine Benny Hinn going before the Lord, the great white throne judgment? Oh, Lord, have not they prophesied in your name? Unbelievable. And in thy name I've cast out devils. Well, Benny, there you go. You got another, you got another uh, little brownie point there. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, this is God speaking to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Now, whether they really cast out the devils, I'm not 100% sure, because it doesn't say, he doesn't dispute with them that they didn't do these things. Okay? But the point is, is somebody that says they're saved, and let's say they actually do cast out it. Let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Remember, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Because it doesn't... Jesus does not say they didn't do this. Notice that. He doesn't dispute that. What does he dispute? That he never knew them. He doesn't dispute that they didn't do these things, that they didn't even prophesy in his name, and cast out devils, and done many wonderful works. Now that's debatable. Okay? That's, that's, that's an unsaved person, the great white throne judgment, basically doing everything he can to try to get into heaven. Okay, we're talking desperation here, huge. And any of us would probably be in the same shoes, you know, I mean, this is, this is it. He doesn't dispute any of that. What he disputes was that he never knew them. Then he says, depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. What does this imply? It implies they were never saved, they were never born again. Ever. He never knew them. It wasn't like they were saved and lost their salvation. I have a big problem with that. You know, because if you're saved and you lose your salvation, I have people, well, what can you do to get it back? Well, then it comes into, then it gets into works-based. Well, I worked my way back for it. Well, it's a free gift. You either freely receive or you freely reject. I think if the Holy Spirit's really living inside you, eventually you're going to get right with the Lord. They were never born again. They were self-righteous people. Look at me. I prophesied in his name. I cast out devils. I did many mighty wonderful works. Can you imagine going before the Lord and, and, and going before him and in pure holiness, the King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe, and going before that Lord at the great white throne judgment and like trying to like show him all these great things you did. Man, that would be... Whew, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Um, 
if they were saved and they backslid and they lost it, how could Jesus Christ have said this? Where he said, I never knew you. Never. He didn't say, well, I knew you back in April, but you fell away and you got unsaved. Okay, now, again, I don't want to get into a big, gigantic scriptural debate here about saved and unsaved and losing and getting it. I'm just ta- trying to, to, to compare Scripture with Scripture. The Bible does say that you are sealed under the day of redemption. That the Holy Spirit seals you. Okay, these types of things. Um, and again, the Bible talks about when the seed falls on some ground, it will take root and, and give root for a while. But then it withereth away. They never really were saved. They appeared saved. But they never really were. Did they continue? The Bible says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Again, that's why it's so important what Bible we're reading. But are we continuing in his word? That's one of the earmarks of a Christian. Of a disciple. You're set free by that truth. You're not deceived. That's another earmark. What's another earmark? Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. If you be without chastisement, of which all are partakers, says that, well, that means that most of the unsaved people out there living like the devils aren't getting chastised. They're just getting away with it. That's another earmark of a Christian. And again, that's a whole other sermon. But these, these devils in the pulpits that are up there prospering in their big religions and seemingly nothing's happening to them, that's not a good sign that they were ever saved. Again, that, that's a whole other study we don't have time to get into. But anyway, that, that's some, some interesting points there. Uh, let's go to Acts 20, verse 28. Okay, so Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock which... The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The Holy Ghost does this. To feed the church of God. How much of the church of God is being fed now? Which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay, so Luke who wrote Acts, and the book of Luke, is warning us here, and knowing, he says, I know, that after, <clears throat> that after he departs, he knows that grievous wolves, shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. See, the flock is typically referred to as the sheep. The good shepherd which was referred to as Jesus Christ, loves the sheep. And the Bible talks about that he would give his life for the sheep. And he did give his life for the sheep on the cross, if you think about it. A true pastor, or a true person that's really concerned about somebody's soul, who's not a hireling, will give their life for the sheep. That's the earmark of, 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 a, of, a, of a true man of God, I think. Not just a pastor, but he would give his life for the sheep. And hireling, it says on the other hand, has no true love for the flock. What does it imply? Hireling. Hmm. He's being hired. Hmm. He's getting paid the wages of unrighteousness that we talked about earlier. He's doing it for the money. 
Love of money is the root of all evil. For I know this, that after my departing, this is verse 29, Acts 20, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They will be grievous, grievous wolves in sheep's clothing. Also of your own selves shall men arise, even the people in the church shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. See, they want to have their own little ministry. Oh, I want to have a big church. I want to have my own disciples. I don't want to, I don't want to be under this man's teaching. I want to do it my way. Verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone day and night with tears. You think this was a little bit important to Luke? He did this for three years. Day and night he ceased not to warn. Does this sound like it was almost the whole thrust of his ministry? It sounds like this was like the key thing he keyed on, if he did it for three years, did it day and night with tears. Is there anything else in the Bible, that, that or is there anything else in the book of Acts where it said, Luke warned them for three days, and, or, or for three years, day and night with tears about? The main thing that he was concerned about was grievous wolves entering in, not sparing the flock. And that was back when, when apostasy wasn't near as rampant as it, as it is today. Now, I understand the church was in his infancy. It was just forming. But he was that concerned about this. Do you think we might want to be concerned about today, considering that Jesus said over and over and over, regarding the end times, to be not deceived? Verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Sanctified, again, is to be, is to be made holy and set apart. The only way that happens is if the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And you reading the Word of God is another way of sanctifying yourself. Because the Bible says, Sanctify me through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. That's how we get sanctified. Always comes back to the Word of God. So, verse 33. I have coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Oh, can Benny Hinn say that? What about Kenneth Copeland? What about any of these devils? Rick Warren? who's a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. Oh my! Why would he be a, a member of that wicked organization? Because he's one of them. Because he's a hireling. He's a devil. He's a wolves in sheep's clothing. He's here to deceive you and to take you to hell if you let him. They'll usually tell me, let go and let God. Yeah, show me book, chapter, and verse on that one. What does that mean? You want me to let go, go into hell? I, I don't think so. I'm not going down that broad path, which they're going down. Luke said, I've coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Should be the earmark of every pastor or teacher. Not to covet any man's gold, silver, or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto you my necessities and to them that were with me. In other words, he earned his keep and was not supported. And this was an example for others. Sorry, i got to make a correction here. This was Paul saying this. Luke wrote the book of Acts, but this was something Paul was actually saying to the Ephesian elders. 
So this is the context which he was saying this. So I apologize about that. Um, so, it says, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and them that were with me. I have showed you things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. Oh me, I don't hear anything about in there about building a big gigantic mega church. Huh. Supporting the weak. We're going to do a whole teaching on this. It's very soon as well. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Back then, most of the money was going to the weak. The Bible says true religion is this, that you visit the, the, the widows and the fatherless in their afflictions. Huh. I don't say anything about building some big mega church. Wow. Well, he said you ought to support the weak. Now, the Bible does say the workman is, is, is also worthy of the hire, okay? So I'm not saying that, that a minister who's doing the will of God, if this is what he's doing to make a living, shouldn't be supported. I'm just saying that there's a lot of biblical context also for, and primarily for supporting the weak, the widows, and the fatherless. It's there, that's there as well, even in a bigger way, okay? So... But we've got it all backwards in the churches. Most of the churches are, are, are supporting and building gigantic buildings, which is totally unbiblical, and then supporting you know, all the, the pastors or the head pastors and these types of guys. And then they have this tiny little benevolent fund. Or this little pantry for them. they got it all backwards, according to the New Testament, as far as I can see. And we'll do a, we'll do a study on that in the near future. So, if we go... Let's go to one other verse and then I'm going to wrap it up for today. Proverbs 14, verse 15. Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. See, that's what happens in the churches today. The simple believe every word that they're told by these apostate devils. Because they don't compare Scripture with Scripture. They don't seek these things out. And they're probably not even reading the right Bible. The simple believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. The Bible also says, the prudent man foreseeeth the evil and hideth himself. And the simple pass on and are punished. Do you know how many people, you know, oh no, nothing's going to happen to me. It's just going to get better and better and better. Nothing's going to happen to me, man. My preacher told me so. Well, your preacher's lying to you. So, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there for today. And we'll continue, I guess, next week. I guess this is going to turn into a part three, which may be a first. So, you know, I don't want to get all puffed up with pride, but I think we're going to have a part three here. So, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer for today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord God, for this time that you've given us. For all your goodness and your mercy, Lord God, in heaven. Mercy, Lord God, that we really don't deserve, Lord God, if the truth be known. But I do praise you for what the Lord Jesus Christ did, Lord God, to save our souls. For his death, burial, and resurrection, Lord God, and that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And you said, Lord God, knowing this, coming boldly before the throne of grace to make our supplications known, Lord God, I do pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, that you would cleanse us of presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. Lord God, that you would use your truth and your word and your fear, Lord God, that many people would come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you do expose these prophets, these false prophets, these false ministers, putting themselves forth as ministers of righteousness, Lord God, when they're nothing but devils. I pray to God that they be judged in this lifetime, Lord God, that there be hope for the people that are following them on their way to hell. I realize, Lord God, if they are a tear and they are before ordained to this condemnation, that there's nothing that can really be done for them. But Lord God, if you would judge them in this lifetime, that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God, that they would wisely consider of your doing, as when you judged Ananias and Sapphira, Lord God, in that way. And great fear fell upon many, and many were converted, and the word of God grew mightily. I pray to God that that would be the case in the name of Jesus Christ. That you would judge and overthrow the wicked. Not because I'm asking you that they would go to hell. But Lord God, if you know, and I know you know the beginning from the end, you know who will accept you as Lord and Savior. And you know who will reject you. Lord God, that these would be overthrown. That will reject you. That all men would see and fear and declare the work of God. I pray that thy name be glorified through these things and that many would be saved. We thank you, Lord God. We praise you. I pray you bring us back at the next appointed time. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.